Stadium Drive Podcast. I'm your boy Hudgens. Um, we're dropping a special bonus episode today. Um, this is something that we usually don't do, but when you have Brett Romberg on the phone, you, you have to drop it. I mean, the, you have no choice. So uh, I'm riding solo today. My, my buddy Joe couldn't make it. So um, yeah, so before we get into this uh, interview though, I want to tell you about something. It's called Blue Chew. All right. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. I'm telling you guys, you need some help in the bedroom, want, want a little pep in your step, I'm telling you, you got to get on this Blue Chew. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis. Yeah, I'm telling you. And, and the great thing about Blue Chew is Blue Chew is prescribed by licensed physicians so you don't have to go to any kind of doctor's office. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. It'll ship right to your door in a discreet package. No one will ever know that you're using Blue Chew if you don't want them to. I'm telling you guys, this stuff works. I, I, I've read the testimonies. Got to get with it. But uh, all right, guys, I'm going to take a quick break. When we get back, I'm going to have Brett Romberg on. You're not going to want to miss this. Peace. Welcome back, guys, to Stadium Drive Podcast. I've got a very special guest on on this Saturday. It's a 2001 national champion, nine-year NFL vet. Uh, you can hear him weekly on the uh, Brett Romberg Show on 1210 The Man. It's none, none other than Brett Romberg. What's going on, man? What's happening, man? Happy Saturday to you. Oh, yeah. So um, how, let, let's just jump right into it. How... How painful was it to watch the Canes this year for you? Uh, it, it got to, it got to the point where um, you almost become numb. To be honest with you, it's it's one of those things where the the expectation levels that have been going on down here, especially locally. Uh, if you're if you're anybody that's listening to this podcast right now that is in South Florida, you feel it. You feel it everywhere you go because the city's a different place when the Canes are doing well. This, uh, this this city in particular is is starving for a team right now, pro or amateur, to to do something special, right? So that's like the whole thing down here, and and we all are on like these big building plans down here, whether it's the Marlins or or the Miami Dolphins or the Heat. The expectation level is always is always big down here, and when when an athletic community doesn't get fed the meat that they want to eat, it, it it becomes pretty uh pretty ornery down here, I guess you can say. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I'm. It, it, it's terrible. I'm. I, I'm up here in Georgia, and I mean, I, I just, I hate it. But um, why do you uh, why do you think Miami has such a culture problem, as far as the the football team is concerned? I mean, I, I'm on the outside looking in, but it just seems like the kids just weren't locked in, or, or I know the report came out that there was a lot of partying going on and, and you know, staying out after curfew and stuff like that. I mean, wh- why is that? I just feel that the the foundation on which the program was built on, I'm going all the way back to like Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson and, and obviously my era, which Butch Davis, um, that style of player that they recruited, uh, I, I don't think that they were recruiting that guy. Uh, they were relying on a lot of the, a lot of the recruiting platforms, much like a lot of the other collegiate coaches do, because let's face it, 
now with this whole internet thing and, and social media, it's very easy for collegiate recruiting to, to just rely on, on sources and companies that have popped up here and there to go ahead and do their own evaluating. So right. um, I feel like the recruiting process might've got a little bit lazy over the last couple of decades. Um, I feel that, um, that, that hard nosed tough, and it's probably just part of the times and how everything changes. You know, I sound like the old man get off my lawn right now, but <laughs> I, I feel like that, that type of player, um, there's few and far between. And, and especially in, in, in the farming that's going on down here in South Florida from all the other colleges due to the fact that they all have these platforms and the way that these coaches trees have just been one and done two years and out, everybody seems to be moving around quite a bit. And then all of a sudden you might have a coach that was in the state of Florida now is coaching out at Oregon, i.e. Mario Cristobal. So Cristobal was there when I was there. He was a GA. He was in our offensive line room. We would go to war with him after practice all the time. He was doing like MMA. This is when Hoyt Gracie just started things out back in the day in MMA fighting in the UFC. And Mario was like training with Hoyt Gracie. And he was like showing us like different MMA grappling moves, jujitsu moves and stuff like that post-practice after (laughs) Kehoe was kicking our ass in the sand pit. So there was a lot that, that that I felt in terms of the way that the coaches were handling things nowadays is different because these coaches not only have to be um, self-explanatory, you know, football coaches, but, but they also have to act as like almost psychiatrists and sports psychologists in certain ways, because they have to take the group individually as opposed to collectively, because some kids are more sensitive. Some kids learn a little bit different. And back in the day, it was like you just learn, and it's just by attrition. It's just you're, you either get it or you don't, and the weak will fall off, and the strong will survive, and then the ones that are kind of hanging in the middle, you either pick and choose which way you're going. So for the most part, we would influence that decision by either beating the crap out of you in the locker room, uh, <laughs> making you want to leave the program because it just it was ruthless. It really was ruthless. And yeah. and I just feel like there's 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 a sense of, of, of individualism that's going on where – Everybody has their own agenda of going to the NFL, making their social media platform, and, and not necessarily making it about the university that they're attending. Right. Do you think? Uh, do you think the star system has kind of has, has kind of ruined some things? I mean, you oh have my these God, kids. Yeah, I, yeah I you have that. You have these kids that are five stars, and I just feel like they're like, I don't have to practice that hard. I mean, I'm a five star. I mean, I don't, so. The, the 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 entitlement thing that's been going yeah, on now for quite exactly. some time. Um, you ask a lot of NFL GM scouts, directors of player personnel, things like that. Uh, you ask them the way that they feel about it, and it's an ongoing joke in a draft room, in a war room. And then on top of that, once the season kicks off and once the season finishes, they literally sit around a table and joke about who was projected to go where mm-hmm. in the draft what star they were coming out of not only college, but also high school that they had rated in them. And, and it becomes comical. It's like one of the best players on their team was a two-star recruit coming out of high school, going into college. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now, you know, you, you have these five-star kids that fall off and want to transfer the minute that they're dealt with any adversity. So, you know, they all want to be starters now and they don't want to pay prices and they don't want to wait right. for their turn. So I, I think it's a, it, it's a very adolescent, immature uh, I'm sitting in my high chair. I want my food now, and I'm going to scream until I get it. And and I feel like that's the way that 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 the majority of what was going on at the University of Miami. That, that's basically it. Yeah, I hear you. I I agree with that. Let's um let's talk about a rumor that came out this past week. Um, not not sure if it's true or not. I I reached out to a few people that I know inside the program, and 
one said it was, one said he wasn't sure. Um, there's a rumor that Ed Reed interviewed for the chief of staff position. What do you, uh, no. you don't think so? <laughs> no, that's not true. No, not no. True. Eddie's been in like Mexico. He's been in Cabo. He's, he's been in Dominican Republic. Like Ed, Eddie's basically trying to make hats and cigars and enjoy <laughs> this hall of fame roller coaster ride. Um, Eddie, Eddie's a very bright, bright individual. Eddie yeah. does not have the time um, to, to, to be that role, to be honest with you. It, it does really take a guy like Alonzo Highsmith, who has had, you know, multiple decades of scouting experience and finding right. out, you know, which, which clicks on certain players, who's good, who's not good. And it really wasn't about, to be honest with you, a guy like Alonzo Highsmith coming in and, and, and evaluating incoming talent. This was more about what was going on already currently at the school. This was him coming in, looking at the coaching stuff, basically trimming fat, finding out who's efficient, who works, who doesn't work, what player. It, it, the Alabama has it. Clemson has it. A lot of these big schools, uh, yeah. people don't know this, but a lot of these big schools have these guys that walk around almost like an internal scouting department, and they read body language. They watch kids pouting. They watch kids being lazy. They also watch coaches and find out how coaches are operating. And if, and if they're sending in the right personnel during practice, or are they screwing the pooch too? So when that happens, all of a sudden a guy like Alonzo Highsmith, who's very, very seasoned, and seeing what works and what doesn't work, he's just going to go straight up to you know the head coach and tell him this is what you need to do. You need to fire all these people. You need to cut these scholarships, and you need to bring this yeah. guy in and work on. It. And then I just don't. I don't think Manny Manny wasn't ready for that. Manny's not ready to you know to have internal criticism on what he's right. just only had one year to build so far. So um, it, it's it's one of those situations where if Ed Reed would have gotten the call, it would have been a fan favorite, obviously, but. In terms of his time and his ability to dedicate his time to to rebuilding a program, that's a lot to fall on his plate, especially the year he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I um, yeah, somebody threw it out there on Twitter that that's been pretty reliable, and I kind of retweeted it out there, and I and I got a lot of slack on my Twitter talking about all oh, this fake news. I was like, well, I'm just relaying a message. I, I have no idea. So. Well, I, I imagine, to be honest with you, I, I don't know if I don't think he interviewed for it. If you want to say that, you know, because Manny does talk to Ed once in a while and, you know, seeks Ed's guidance quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the phone call happened. I'm sure Manny reached out and I'm sure Blake James reached out and wanted to pick Ed's brain about it. But in terms of an actual job interview, I, I don't think that I don't right. think that ever happened. I hear you. I got you. So uh, let's switch gears and talk about offensive line. Something that, you know, a ton about. Um, mm -hmm. Miami gave up 51 sacks this year. That's horrible. Um, I know Boston College, they gave up, what, 12 or 13 sacks this year. I mean, that's you, – you can't say that Boston College has more talent on the line than Miami, or you wouldn't think so. So, um, with a new offensive line coach, coach coming in, uh, how much can an offensive line improve in just one year, do you think? Well – the, the situation that's been going on at the University of, University of Miami with this offensive line was the coach that was there previous to Butch Berry um, was rumored to be kind of verbally abusive. And, and he would pick on the kids that weren't picking up what he was putting down, if you will, uh, the ones that didn't understand, the one that made multiple mistakes. And, uh, and I guess you could say kind of beat on their confidence a little bit. So they were right. almost bruised and battered, almost like a, you know, a dog that that's gone through some, some abuse and all of a sudden you're trying to put him in a new home and he's still pretty timid. 
So I think you had a little bit of that going on uh, last year with the offensive line. But also, it's very difficult for one coach to come in there after dealing with NFL talent who, when it becomes your job and, and, and your ability to make a living and put food on the table, they're a lot easier to coach in, in terms of you should already know certain things about football when you're at that level, and it's just now a matter of this is what you need to do to execute. The, the, the collegiate ranks, you're dealing with babysitting, social issues. One guy might have a fight with his girlfriend the night before. And you know, you're, you're almost, yeah. again, like that sports psychologist. And, and I, I, I think Butch Berry was just very overwhelmed. Like, you cannot have 15, 16 kids in one room, and every single one of them needs attention about something. And, and yeah. that was the case. And you had a, your leader, uh, unfortunately, fortunately, was, was Corey Gaynor. Uh, very young, rules with an iron fist. I love him to death. Uh, he's like my favorite. He's violent. He's, he's tenacious. He's, he's really, really good. And he's going to be a phenomenal player. And, um, I, I just feel that there was that internal struggle. They were trying to do one thing. The players were trying to bring other players along. Devon Donaldson was being extremely lazy and hard to deal with. And when you have a kid, if you want to talk about that five-star label that you've given him freshman year, he's supposed to be a world beater, all American, all this other stuff. And then getting embarrassed in the Duke game on a couple of short yardage plays. Now, all of a sudden, Devon Donaldson goes into this shell. And anytime yeah. you say anything to him, it almost like, you know, it almost kind of goes right back into a shell. So mentally, these guys need to get a lot tougher. Uh, physically, they need to get stronger. They need to be more violent. And, and I, just, I just noticed that, you know, when you go to a practice and you watch these guys, it was just a lot of mistakes being made, a lot of lack of attention to detail and mistakes. Right. And it's hard to run a practice and create consistency when you've got guys jumping offside, when you've got the bad snap, when you've got wrong personnel in the huddle, and it just becomes a yelling match between coaches and players for two and a half hours. Right. Um, I, know, I, know, I know Bryant McKinney's met up with Garen Justice. I know they've, they've watched some film and stuff, and uh, – I've been trying to get Brian on this podcast, so uh, maybe we'll make that happen. But um, have you had an opportunity to to talk with the new offensive line coach yet, and just kind of? Yep. Yeah. He. Yeah. Uh, I think when he got into town last week or the week be- week before, he reached out. Um, I I know, and I've had multiple people who've coached with him reach out to me as well, and and, and basically make sure I'm going to be nice to him. <laughs> I think that was one <laughs> of the things because I know I'm a little bit of a ball buster, but uh, yeah. But yeah, man, I already I already talked to Garen, and, and I told Garen I'm at your disposal, man. Whatever you need uh, from me, whatever help, any any kind of film review, any anything you need to to help our school, to help our program get better, uh, I'm in. So, and I think I think that's the attitude of everybody else as well. Yeah, um, it became one of those kind of open slash closed door policies over there for the last little while. Once once the outside world starts, you know speaking badly about the university of Miami and the media starts criticizing and, you know, we're picking on certain players then the walls go up. It's one of those things where, you know, Oh no, no, our doors always open. We'd love you to come in and come back. But it's like, they almost want to shuffle you out just as fast as you walked in the front door. So they want to put yeah. you right out the back door immediately. They don't, they don't want your influence um, as much as they say they want the older influence. They really don't want your, um, your influence going on the way that they're coaching. So it, it's a tough, it's a tough boundary. You don't want to overstep your bounds either when you get in there. And especially if a coach is trying to teach one technique and you go in there and you're thinking that your technique would be a little bit better and work more, uh, right. he's the one that's coaching. So, you know, all you could do is just offer a little bit of advice and, and then basically, you know, let the kids learn from their offensive line coach. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I hear you. Um, I know people don't like giving grades, you know, I, you know, so, but, um, 
what would you grade if you had to give Manny Diaz a grade on the job he's done this offseason? Um, what would it be? I know, I know we've had some coaches in the past that's been reluctant to change to get rid of certain coordinators and stuff, but I mean, it, he, he seems like he's you know, he's trying to do the right thing and, and trying to address some problems. Well, that, that's one thing I, I really admire about Manny. It's these coaches sometimes are. Are guilty and loyal by fault, and they yeah. hang on to coaches for too long, and it becomes a friendship thing over over you know an actual performance thing. So the fact that he is nipping everything in the bud immediately, and he's trying to go ahead and and, and restart and regenerate, I know that's that's a positive thing. Uh, but when it came to a first time head coach, game day operations as as predominant, and unfortunately a program that, that basically uh, is not winning like it used to, but still definitely has national presence. He had some game day flubs, like he, he really did. And I, I feel like it's going to be growing pains for him for the next year. And, yeah. um, and as long as he has an offensive coordinator, because this is where I think everything kind of went awry, is heading into a collegiate season not knowing which quarterback you have. And to the outside world, nobody knew what was going on over there with the Tate Martells and the Jarens and the Encosis. It wasn't the fact that they couldn't decide which one they were going to put behind center. It was it was the lesser of the three evils, to be honest with you. Yeah. Nobody could run a play because of how bad the offense was executing in practice. The defense was killing them every single play when they would go live. Like it was it wasn't even a fair matchup. If you want to do twenty five snaps, the offense might might have been able to get off the snap four or five times, let alone execute the play. So it was very tough to evaluate talent. And then obviously now the whole story comes out with the Tate Martell and 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 Jaron Williams, you know, getting high and hanging out and not coming to practice and treating yeah. everything like it's a it's a frat party. And that's basically the attitude that was going on over there. And then you got a kid like Tate Martell who leaves the program for like a month and a half. Nobody's seen him. And then you have your head coach coming out and telling everybody, no, no, we're going to welcome him back with open arms. It's like, yeah, no, that's... That, 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 that I give a grade of a C on. Probably yeah. closer to a D when it comes to those decisions that he's making. But uh, but in terms of, of what he's doing execution-wise to try to make things move forward and, and taking care and taking the blame for a lot of this stuff, I'd give him a B. I'd give him a B. Gotcha. I hear B you. Minus. I'd be minus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, uh, the nine win, uh, if, Manny win, if Miami wins nine wins next season, does that save Manny's job, or do you think he's, think he's out? Uh, I think he's out. Thanks, to be so. perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I, mean, with I, the, think, with, uh, I think uh, – go ahead. With the schedule we have, I mean, it's it's weak. So, yeah, it's it's set for success. To be honest with you, it really is. And 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 almost and to be perfectly honest with you, some of those games are even almost set up for failure because yeah. you take a look at some of those games. There, there's no benefit on our end for winning some of those games. It's almost expected. Uh, and and even after a, a six and seven season or a five and six season or whatever we did. Um, some of those wins being expected is, is still, you know, still almost a reach, but, but I feel like it's almost setting for failure to be honest with you. But as long as we take care of the business and we win the games that we're supposed to win. And, and, and ultimately the only one that I could really see, see hanging around here is, is if Rhett Lashley and, and Derek King come together and put together some amazing, amazing offensive performances. And I think that's going to help Manny because oh, yeah. it's going to allow him to focus more on the defense because last year, Let's face it, with the fact that he had Danny Enos in there and three quarterbacks that they knew who the hell was going to be there, it, it made Manny obviously not only nervous, but 
paying more attention to what's going to be happening on the offensive side of the football where you saw the defense kind of, you know, lose their attention a little bit, if you will, and Manny had to come back once or twice and crack the whip. Yeah. So, Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think the the Rhett Lashley style of offense, the new quarterback, number one, you know, Maxwell candidate, three thousand yards passing, you know, multiple touchdowns on the ground running, really really good efficient quarterback. But again, everybody's got to remember we only got him for one year, and then where yeah. are we back to? And maybe maybe we got the Van Dyke kid that's going to learn from him. But what are we going to go back to when we got opening day against Alabama in a year? Oh from now? man, so it's, oh, it'll be man. tough. Yeah, I'm 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 going to try to make the trip up to Atlanta for that one it's only a three-hour drive for me but i am nervous man um yeah that's gonna be uh it's gonna that's gonna be a barn burner for sure we'll find out <laughs> how uh how the university is gonna be stacking and you know what's gonna be even scarier is the fact that if this does happen where new president of the school new athletic director and new head coach come in and then we got all new staff and all new people that uh i don't i don't know if, if that's uh setting us up for a national embarrassment or not to be honest with you yeah i got you um we, we've talked about it a little bit transfer portal do you think it's bad for the sport mm-hmm. overall or do you think what do you what do you think well i think i think it's good for the teams that are you know a couple puzzle pieces away um right i.e the lsus the oklahomas you know ohio state things of that sort um i, I think that there are a couple pieces away and you already have stuff in the pipeline it's fine just as long as you don't try to build your team through the transfer <laughs> portal because a lot of people don't realize and don't understand the consequences of the transfer portal where when it comes to NCAA scholarships. So every school gets 25 scholarships annually, and those are planned on a four year attendance of a university. So imagine if you keep building through your portal, you're only getting these guys for one year, but they also count as one of the 25 four year scholarship kind of players. So as time goes on and as three or four years go on, you'll see those 25 scholarships dwindle down because you keep not only going to the transfer portal, but my guess is you're going to have people leaving your school, transferring out, leaving to the NFL early, uh, failing or flunking or getting kicked out of. And, and then also some of the players, especially at the university of Miami that want to enter the transfer portal themselves. So the players that you plan on having in your program for three or four years are not there anymore. And then you're yeah. going to be farming out from the portal to bring them in. So, when you should be having 85 scholarships after, you know, every single year, 85 scholarship players, when you get to like year three or year four, you're down to like 50 something. And that's what's going on in Arkansas right now. They're, they're down to like yeah. legitimately, they're only allowed to have 50 something scholarship players on their roster. So it's almost like you're playing with NCAA sanctions against you and you're not able to even farm a team. And with as expensive as University of Miami is, almost $80,000 it costs the athletic department for Jeez. each kid. Each student athlete, it costs the athletic department, I believe it's seventy-three or $76,000 to attend the University of Miami room and board and books and all the other stuff. So yeah. you cannot build a walk-on program. When you go to Alabama or a state school when it's going to cost you seven or 8000 a year, people can swing that, and you could build walk-ons. But at the University right. of Miami, when it's costing almost hundred grand a pop, like I don't know how many parents or friends you got that their parents can afford you know, $75,000 a year to send your kid to go play football and study school. It's oh, always yeah. possible. So yeah. even even the walk-on program at the University of Miami is suffering, whereas in other schools it's not because you could supplement with the walk-ons as well on special teams and doing some other things and eventually give them a scholarship, which won't count towards the 25, which is really cool. Right. So it, 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 people don't get that. People, people just say, oh, my God, he's available. Let's bring him in. But there is an absolute consequence to trying to build your team through the transfer portal. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um. So Clemson, 
Clemson has first rounders that come back to school every year for the past couple years. And I mean, Miami, Miami has players that could really, really benefit to coming back to their senior year. And I know everybody's situation is and circumstances, everything's different. You know, it's, they have their own reasoning, but how can Miami get some of these kids who, who could really benefit from a a senior year to come back and and play? You think it's just putting together wins? What's good. What's good nowadays is if you do have an opportunity to go to the NFL, uh, you're given a grade. And back in my day when I was playing in the early two thousands, if you elected to come back for your senior year, there was no insurance program or policy put in place for you. The only thing that you had was which you had to pay for yourself coming out of pocket was your injury insurance, basically that's provided by like Lloyd's of London. So if you're projected to go whatever round and, and if you blow your knee out, you can take out an insurance policy that'll pay you one, two, $3 million, $4 million, whatever it might be, but it's coming out of your pocket. So your family has to pay for it. Nowadays, the school takes out your insurance policy, but not only do they take out an insurance policy just in case of injury, but if you elect to come back for your senior season, as a junior, you get your NFL grade, and then they tell you exactly, and I guess you could say in a parameter of where you will be drafted or where you're graded to be drafted. And if you come back for your senior season, it doesn't even matter if you get injured or not, but if you go back into the draft in the senior year, if you fall in the draft, you will be compensated from that previous slot that was graded to you in your junior season in oh, okay. order to go ahead and supplement the fact that you made the decision to come back to school. So yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of, of bumpers in place, if you will, a lot of fenders in place for guys that do want to come back and play a senior year and do those kind of things. Like, for instance, Alabama, Nick Saban had to persuade like five or six kids to come back for their senior year. Otherwise, they would have almost 11 first-round draft picks this year in the draft. Oh, yeah. 11. Yeah, it's incredible. Nasty. Like, that is nasty. And, <laughs> and, and those insurance policies make a big, big difference, especially for guys. The only problem is, is Saban's got guys that want to leave early because they're going in the first round. we got guys that want to leave early that are possibly going to be getting drafted in the fifth or sixth. So I, yeah. I, I never understood the election to get the hell out of here and try to go ahead and make some money in the NFL and do better. What that says to me is I'm not getting coached properly. I'm not getting utilized properly. They're not taking care of me here. I need to get the hell out of here so I can actually shine in the NFL and find a way to make some money earlier. So that's just, you know, coaching and lack of development, which is yeah. what's been basically, you know, rumored to be going on here in the last little while. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, th- th- there's been some guys that's came out this season that's kind of been head scratchers to me, but I just wasn't sure. Um, all right. Oh, we'll, yeah, we'll do a- year in and year out. Year in and year out, these guys continue to just elect to leave. And, and, and as, you know, talking to coaches and talking to different players and NFL scouts, they just they shake their head. They're just, I, they, they think that, you know, they get to get to the NFL and they're going to be there for five or six, seven years and go ahead and create a nest egg, and they don't realize – you know, you, you go to a camp and then all of a sudden you get cut. They don't realize that there's a lot more involved in the NFL than just your ability. They don't understand the politics. They don't understand the roster numbers. It's like, you know, you come from a team playing with 100 guys and all of a sudden then you, know, you only have a 45-game day roster and a 53-man roster. And you're yeah. like, why can't I be part of that? You know, it's just it's weird. It's very, very weird business. Yeah, it's crazy. If I, if I, was, if I was a student athlete, I mean, if I was a student athlete at Miami uh, and I, I would definitely – I would like to say I would stay and, you know, enjoy my college years, but I don't know. All right, we'll, uh, we'll get to uh, a one last question here. Super Bowl coming up in, in yes, about a week and a half. Who you got, Chiefs, 49ers? I'm going to go 49ers, man. As much as I love Mahomes, uh, yeah. I'll take Mahomes over Garoppolo any day. 
uh, I just I just feel that that San Francisco 49er defense is on another level. I feel yeah, that it is. Um, as, as elusive as Mahomes is, and his ability to scramble is still there, and he can throw so awkwardly and make it pinpoint passing, I feel that the amount of time that he's going to have to set his feet is going to be minimal. And, and, and he's going to be running around all over the place, and eventually that's going to get real frustrating. But they also have the defensive backfield at San Francisco that can go ahead and cover and lock guys down. So um, the free reign that a lot of other teams might be having against uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, they won't be having that in, in terms of their wide receiving core. And the whole you know tight end battle, the Kelsey and, and the Kittle battle is going to be freaking awesome. I can't yeah, wait to watch amazing. that stuff. So uh, it's going to be a battle tight ends and, and possibly you know NFL history if you want to go at it. They're both earlier in so uh, it's a real cool performance to watch both those guys get after it. Yeah, man, it's gonna be a good one. Well, all right, man. I appreciate your time. I know you're I know you're a busy man. I know I'm 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 glad you decided to jump on and talk to talk some canes. Um man, all, all I keep hearing is getting a tree stand with that Georgia twang, man. That's all that's all me and Matt Ryan used to do is just right after <laughs> practice on Fridays, we just go sit up in a tree stand somewhere and just hang out and watch some deer and just just go deer hunting, man, every freaking Friday. Really? If you want to get up in a tree stand right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Heck yeah, 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 man. Heck, yeah. Well, I appreciate it. You uh, you have the you have the celebrity fishing tournament coming up soon in March, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Wanna... I know uh, one of the guys up in your neck of the woods, Kerry Bell up there, and I believe he's in Dawsonville. He, uh, he always does a lot of stuff with us. He comes down. He comes down for the tournament. But it's, it's a phenomenal tournament, man. It's been hosted by Ray Lewis, Warren Sapp, um, Michael Irvin, to name a few different names. Um, JJ's tournament's right around the corner as well. Jimmy's tournament down in Ocean yeah. Reef. So it, it's getting, uh, it's, it's about to get live here. It's about to get a little crazy here. So, so yeah, we got mine coming up May 15th, 16th with the University of Miami Hall of Fame celebrity fishing tournament down here close to the school. So, uh, and then you got Jimmy's down in the Keys shortly thereafter. So it, it should be, it should be fun. Heck yeah. Well, all right, man, I'll let you go. I appreciate you jumping on talking to us. No, not a problem, man. My pleasure. Anytime. All right, man. See you. All right, thanks.